0: O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Church, I hope that you'll stay open with me to uh, Psalm 130 this morning. We have an incredible Psalm to spend time in this morning. Not that any of them have not been incredible. I've truly enjoyed and appreciated our time walking through these Psalms of Ascent. Songs of, of approach to our God. Songs for the journey that God has placed us on by His grace that ends in His presence. So Psalm 130 this morning, the, the journey is a journey to see God and to worship His name. Along the journey, if we truly consider what the end of our journey is, think about it for a moment. To see God... And to worship his great, holy, perfect, righteous name, we're going to see the Holy One. If that realization dawns upon us, we will realize also that we are not holy. That's what Matt was talking about just a few moments ago. That's our our time of a prayer of confession. But we really confess these two things, that the Lord is holy and I am not. This is our twin confession. The Lord is holy and I am not. And there is an unfathomable, not able to be measured, gap and chasm between those two realities. Uh, Perhaps you were confronted with this crisis in last week. And last week we were in Psalm 129. For those of you who are not with us, Psalm 129 is a cry against the affliction of the wicked. So the wicked person comes and they afflict the people of God. And the people of God cry out against the wicked that they would not prosper, or that their way would not be fruitful, and their way would not receive the blessing of God. May the wicked, it says in Psalm 129, be put to shame and turned back. Let them be like grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up. And then we realize, As much as I have the right to cry out for justice, not only the right, but a a responsibility to cry out for justice, may the wicked Lord not prosper, I can make no argument that that's not me. See, that's where we were last week. Crying out for, for justice against wickedness and for the way of the wicked not to be fruitful, not to be blessed by God. And then we sit there and say, wait a minute, what's the argument that someone's not praying that about me today? I'm the one who's under the judgment of a righteous God. If it weren't for Psalm 130, all of us would be under the curse that Psalm 129 ends with. Heavenly Father, it's appropriate that we would go to you and pray. Because we, while we do, we we do cry out against wickedness. It's very clear that there there are those who would assault your people, malign your great name, thwart your glorious way. We have to admit that this is us as well. We We have walked in that way. And so, Lord, we thank you that today you preach the gospel to us. By means of this psalm, may we receive it with great clarity and good joy today. Thank you, God. We trust you for your work in the midst of these words. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 130. Like I said, I hope you have it open so you can follow along with me. And we're going to look at it in three parts where we see the good news, how we move from a people who would be under curse except for the work of God on our behalf. We begin in verses 1 and 2. Look at it with me. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Out of the depths. The Psalms we've considered recently have often spoke of things like affliction, trial, suffering. We're all familiar with those things. You, you perhaps don't even have to have been with us for looking at those Psalms to know what I'm talking about, to, to cry out to God in your affliction and in your distress, in, in a variety of trials and suffering. This morning's Psalm also speaks of great depths. But here's the thing. There are no greater depths than the chasm Of our need for grace. You and I may have experienced trial or suffering or affliction or even the work of the wicked against the people of God, but we have no greater problem in our life than the chasm of the depths of our sinfulness. The believer, the worshiper of God who makes his approach to God knows this. We know this better than anybody else. He is the one, the believer is the one who knows not only the depths of our sin, but also knows the height of the holiness of God. Even if I kicked a couple sin habits, I still am not the holy one. I've still not measured up to the righteous standard of our God. Even if you had something a little less to confess in the prayer of confession this week, you have all the more to confess about the holiness and righteousness of our God, right? We know the depths of our condition are not measured merely by a comparative righteousness, those around us. We don't look around the room and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as some of those people. Then we might think that we have no need to cry out for God. If that's the way we would approach things. We know that I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. We know this is our circumstance. Now the passage begins, again, I hope you're following along with me. Out of the depths, I I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Now, if you know anything about music, you know that there is an instrumental pause between the first and second lines. I mean, you just don't sing a song. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. No. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Instrumental pause. O Lord, hear my voice. We we're situated in the depths of our cry. We're situated in the chasm. And in that chasm of our own sinfulness, we cry, O oh Lord, not once, but twice. O oh Lord, in the depths here. My voice, in that pause, we stop to consider the depths of our sin, the wayward conditions. So the next line is truly actually a plea. It's not just a, just going on of the first line. That second line is a plea for mercy and grace. Oh Lord, hear my voice. Here I am, in the depths. If He hears me, it's because He stooped down to listen. We've stayed there long enough. We've measured the chasm. And we've seen, if the Lord hears me from here, it's because He has stooped down low. That's why He continues, Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. There's no way No matter how loud I cry, that the Holy One could hear me cry from these depths unless He would make His ear attentive to such a plea for mercy. If the Lord is attentive, if He inclines His ear to me, if He stoops down low. I couldn't help but think about this verse when we were singing just a few moments ago. Isn't that the Incarnation? Isn't the the response to the cry of a people who are wallowing in sin that he stoops down low. He is attentive to our state. So already in the passage, you have the circumstance of dependence that is so essential when we talk about salvation and grace and mercy. We have the situation of a person who is dependent upon God to be attentive to his cry. The psalmist brings only need to the table of grace. He doesn't even bring a loud enough cry to be heard. He brings only need. He's crying, but the Lord is the one who must be attentive. My voice, your ears, my please. This is about to get personal. Your voice, my voice, your ears, my please. It's a very personal interaction between a sinner and his God. It has to get personal. If there's something to be done about the depths of my condition, the Lord is going to have to bend low to hear me. He's going to have to incline his ear. He's going to have to bring his ear close to hear my cry from the chasm of my sin. All sinners who come face to face with their sin know this. We know this. And yet, so often we hide instead of cry. You know what I'm talking about. We know this. We know that there is a personal interaction that has to happen between us and God a cry and a mercy. And yet we hide. Avoid that personal interaction with God. Consider Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned against God. What did they do? They knew the heights of perfection. They knew the intimacy with God that is astounding. We long for. And they knew the depths of rebellion and sin. And they knew it on the same day. They knew the chasm. And yet, what did they do? They made no cry for help. Right? The first parents, Adam and Eve, the first humans who walked in perfection with God and then rebelled against them in sin, did not say, Oh, God, we've sinned. We need help. Be attentive to our cry, Holy One, with whom we so recently walked. Now, what did they do? They hid. They hid themselves in the garden. They gathered figs leaves for themselves to cover their nakedness. If God comes near, perhaps he'll just pass by, not see us in this chasm over here. If he doesn't see us, at least he won't deal with us. We won't have any personal interaction with him if he doesn't see us over here. And if he does see us, at least he won't see our nakedness. But this isn't the position of the psalmist. It's not what makes this psalm beautiful, is it? He cries out to God. He actually raises up his voice and he says, look over here, rebel, bottom of the chasm. And if you would only walk this way, God, if you would only incline your ear for a moment, he longs for God to come near to him, to see him and to Hear him. He's not hiding in the bushes and he's not clothed with fig leaves. He's standing there in his nakedness crying out for God to see him. The psalmist already knows his sin. But what does he long for? Not for hiding or self-justification. The psalmist longs for mercy. Mercy. What do you long for? What do you you hope for in the chasm of your sin? Are you showing God that you can do it right today? See, God, I showed up for church. Maybe there's someone down the hallway. See, God, I teach little kids about Jesus. See, God, I set up early this morning. Just don't look at my sin, okay? What we need is a cry for mercy. God, draw near my voice. Your ears, my pleas. I want you to make this passage personal. It is personal already. The question is, will you sing it? Will you sing this psalm? Is there a hidden sin? I didn't ask, who are you hiding it from in this room or at home or in your workplace? Are you hiding from God? Is there a feeling of shame or or worthlessness because you've spent so long hiding from God? Is there perhaps an attempt to cover over your failures by making yourself look good, by trying to do good things? You're putting on fig leaves. If he sees me, if he sees me, at least he'll see me putting on some good things, not in the depth of my depravity. My goodness, the church is the best place to do that. The church is a wonderful place to try to hide from God. To put on fig leaves. See, I'm not hiding. I worship Jesus. And you put on fig leaves of your self-righteousness. Because you don't want God or anyone else to see what the true condition is. This morning, this psalm gives you words. It gives me a guttural cry to cry out to God. There's a a band that I, I really enjoy. I've enjoyed them since the early 90s called The Choir. And The Choir has a song called Mercy Lives Here. Mercy lives here. And then it says, at home with the saints and sinners, mercy lives here. Mercy is at home, shines the best, is the most comfortable at home with saints and sinners. Mercy lives here in the depths where the Lord inclines his ear, not with self righteousness, hiding and pretending. The passage is, is beautiful. It turns on a dime. in Verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord. It offers a conditional. It's, a, it's an if-then statement. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. If you kept an account and a record of my wrongs and then walked in light of that toward me, O Lord. Who could stand if? The psalmist is so realistic. I love it about the whole of the Scriptures. It's not not mushy. It doesn't pull punches. It's very realistic. If you, Lord, should mark everything that I've done, and I'm aware of it today as I cry out for mercy, who could stand He knows what's at stake. He knows what happens if he cries out and actually gains the attention and the ear of God. Imagine for a moment, a person at the chasm of their sin would cry out to an holy God and actually get his attention. Imagine that for a moment. And he decides to mark his sin. Who could stand? This is such an important part of the psalm, and it's such an important part of our cry to God. We realize that we're not just help asking for help out of a pit. Hey God, I was going along, I stumbled a little bit, and uh, otherwise I was mostly righteous. But I kind of fell into this thing that was here. No, now we're crying out from the bottom of a pit that we dug and then jumped into headlong. No excuses. And if you, God, come along here, here, you would be right to say stupid, foolish, wicked. Who who could stand under that? I don't like it when other sinners call me that stuff. Imagine if a holy God said it. He was completely right. Completely right in his judgment. Our cry isn't... I need a little help here. A cry. Mercy. Mercy. My voice. Your ear. Be attentive to my cry. And then we have, perhaps, the most precious of Christian doctrines. Now, I just said doctrines. and so Some of you said, well, I'm out. I'm going to talk about doctrines today. What if I told you that today's Christian doctrine that you're going to have to memorize and be quizzed on later has just three words. But. But. But with you, there is forgiveness. Friends, but God, but with you, but with the Lord, is the most precious of Christian doctrines. The Lord is the God who intervenes. He interrupts the Lord, but is one of the most beautiful words in the Scriptures, or else we just end at the end of Psalm 129. Or maybe the beginning of 130 at the bottom of a chasm, and what if we actually got His attention? of Holy God. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now you, some of you know where I'm going. We can't talk about but God without going to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians, and I would encourage you, in the margin of your Bible, write it down in Psalm 130. Write down Ephesians chapter 2 verses one through seven, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You want to know how deep the pit is? Six feet. Right on. Dead. That's how deep the pit is. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That was you. That was you. Bottom of the pit. Now among whom all once lived in the passions of the flesh. So it's it's not just you. It's everybody. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind at the bottom of the pit. That's our cry. That's me. It's me down here in the pit. And if you bring attention to me, there's no way I can stand unless you're merciful. Unless. But God. That most precious of Christian doctrines. Being rich. In mercy, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He doesn't get us up, clean us up, and say, yeah, that's my dude, not at the bottom of the pit anymore. He loved us when we were at the bottom crying out for mercy, and His mercy comes because He's rich in it. He loved us. And not only did He love us, He made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved from the depths. But that's not all. He doesn't just lift you out of the depths and say, don't fall again. My goodness. Don't don't dig another pit, dude. And raised us up with Him. And if you're wondering where that raised is, when you're raised from a chasm, that's really far. But He has further to go because He's rich in mercy and He loves us. Raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. We're not lifted up to ground zero. We're not given a new start. God's not a God of second chances. He doesn't put up with that risk. He lifts us up out of the pit and then raises us up be seated with Christ in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The Lord does not mark iniquities, it turns out. Who can stand? Nobody, but the Lord is rich in mercy. Who can stand? Only the redeemed. Only those who have God do that work for them. Only those who are in Christ, who have been raised to the heights of the heavenly places. And what's He do in the heights of the heavenly places? What do we do for eternity? Make a really big deal of the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us. Do you think they're run out? Do you think that God's grace is all kinds of spent? Think we're going to run out of new songs to sing for eternity, new wonders to live in light of forever when we have a God who is rich in that kind of mercy and immeasurable riches of grace? Now, there's something fascinating that happens here. If you look at the passage, you're paying attention to the words. It says, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. We're given us so that. We're told why he did. We're not just told what he did. We're told why he did it. That you may be feared. Let us remember, this journey that we are on is a journey to worship. all right? The journey that the believer is on, that the Lord has put us on this pilgrimage is a pilgrimage that these psalms are leading us through so we might approach God and worship His great name. The purpose for which the Lord draws near to the one who is in the pit and can no longer continue the journey, the reason the Lord draws near, the reason He's attentive, the reason that He doesn't mark iniquities so that they are forgiven is so that we would see Him for who He is. So that we would actually worship with sight of the holy god so only the person who has been forgiven of their iniquity has a true and right fear of the lord everybody else is is either pretending to be better than they are or they're attempting to perform to make up for their failure Neither of those unredeemed places don't need God's mercy places has a true vision of who God is. But when you see who He is, He's the Almighty. Oh, He's rich. Rich with grace and mercy. How can you not live in fear of Him? How can you not live in reverence and wonder of Him? Everybody else is busy hiding in the garden with their fig leaves covering their nakedness. Adam and Eve were afraid, but not afraid enough. They didn't have a proper fear of Him because they still thought that they could do something about their sin by hiding and covering. They didn't have a fear of God because they weren't redeemed by God. It's the person who knows the grace of God who is free to see the fullness and wonder of His glory and holiness. It's the one who cries naked for mercy, who has a genuine reverence for the holiness of God. This is the gift of forgiveness. It gifts us with a knowledge of who God actually is. That He brings the journey to its completion to live in light of who God actually is is. I love the way that Jesus puts it in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says, Do not, don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Don't, don't put on clothing to look cool in front of religious leaders or other people that you have fear of in this world. Rather, fear him who can destroy body and soul in hell. The fact that he doesn't, doesn't make it not true about him. The fact that he has mercy on me does not change the fact that he is the Almighty, who has power over my body and soul. We're right to tremble before him. And I'll tell you, there's a song that'll come up on that day. And it's a song of praise and glory of His great grace. This is who God is. He's the one who could destroy us but has not on account of His mercy and love. No one knows this better than the one who has cried out from the depth and had the Lord in His mercy become attentive to His cry. I've already... Asked you to consider the depth of your sin this morning. Now I would ask you to consider your attempts to pretend and perform. How have you sought to cover your sin? How have you minimized the holiness of God or minimized the depth of your sin? How have you sought to stand apart from the mercy of God? What I'm telling you today is that when you do so, that's how you don't see God. That's how you put an end to the journey to worship God. The psalmist gives us words to confess, and he gives us a song to sing. With you, there is forgiveness. With you. Now, the remainder of the psalm, verses five through eight, are words of waiting and words of hope. How appropriate! Advent. This is our psalm of Advent. We should just stay in this one for the next few weeks. It's a psalm of waiting, waiting for the Lord to come and be attentive. and a song of hope, my soul waits. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. Why do we wait? Why do we wait for the Lord? Because he alone has what our souls need. Why do we wait for the Lord? What are you going to do? otherwise claw at the sides of a pit now you're not just big and building a pit you're building a tunnel why do we wait the merciful one is the one who has what we need we fret about so many things today we're impatient for so many things I am impatient like I don't have to like say that generally right You could name it right now. You know in the last seven days what you've waited for. I know I do. But the Lord says the longing of our soul, the satisfaction is as we wait on Him. I would ask you, what has your attention? What are you fretting for? What are you waiting for today? And the psalmist gives us words to sing. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word, I hope. In his word, I hope. Forgiveness. This forgiveness about which the psalmist speaks is according to something. It has ground to stand on. It's not just a nice word. Hey, don't worry about it. I forgive you. His Forgiveness is according to his word. The hope that we have is not I hope so. It's hope. It's a sort of hope that you can wait on and not fret and make second bets on. You know, hedge your bets against the hope of God. Forgiveness is not something that we figure the Lord will do. The Lord is not conforming Himself to a cultural construct of our own creation that we have this disposition that we ought to just be more forgiving toward each other. No, he's He's not forgiving because He's generally like us. It's because He's completely different than us and when He says something, He does it and He's pronounced the word of mercy and forgiveness and so we wait and we hope. The Lord has decided upon mercy for the people who cry out to His name. The Lord has spoken. and It will be so. His reputation hinges on the forgiveness of those who wait for Him. You hear that? The holy God has spoken and his reputation hinges on his redeeming those he has claimed. Imagine singing while making the journey to celebrate the day of atonement. They did. The Jews sang this song as they would approach the Lord on the day of atonement. They sang these psalms of ascent, the day of atonement, that great yearly celebration when the priest makes a sacrifice, enters the holy places on behalf of the people, we have to remember that that ritual that surrounds the Day of Atonement is not the clever invention of a religious elite that thought, this might be, if we invent the Day of Atonement, maybe God will atone for us. I hope so. But wait for that See how it goes. Now the Lord Himself inaugurated the Day of Atonement, and all that takes place on it, the word of the Lord, gave the people feast days by which they might remember not only their sin, but His word to them. We don't get to invent our way back to God and out of the pit. He's spoken. And we can wait for it. Because the Lord has made provision for atonement. The Israelites knew He had because He said He did. And they would sacrifice animals and the priest would enter the holy places and would pronounce forgiveness of sin. And then Jesus Christ Himself comes and He fulfills everything that that whole system points toward. And the Lord makes provision once and for all for sinners that we might be reconciled to a holy God in his word, I hope. That's our situation. More than the watchman waits for the morning, it says. And then it says it again. Yeah, yeah, more than a watchman waits for the morning. What's the image? What's the image of a watchman waiting for the morning? Well, when morning comes, we know that we've survived the dark of night. But you see, when you're at the bottom of a chasm, there's no surviving the dark of night because dark of night is all there is. And so when you're at the bottom of a chasm, what do you wait on? Rescue. Our sin isn't just for a season and then it passes and we get to be righteous again. We're waiting for rescue like a watchman waits for the morning. When the Lord of, word of the Lord comes, we know we've survived the depths of our sin. More than what? He says that he longs for it more than a watchman waits for the morning. What do you wait on the Lord more than? Or better yet, worse yet, what are you waiting on? What are you hoping in more than you are waiting on? The redemption that is in Christ. What's your hope again? Now the passage ends with this beautiful 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, the person who knows but God, who knows that Prussian doctrine of the church that God has given to His people, the person who knows but God, so quickly turns to the congregation and the people with a desire that they too would turn and hope in the Lord. It's not... It's why it's not just David up here singing about God, but rather he says, will you sing with me? Anybody want to sing with me about the great redemption that we have in our God that we might cry out to him and hope in him? Charles Spurgeon says, what one Israelite does, he wishes all Israel to do. That's Psalm 130. We found that with the Lord. There's steadfast love. How beautiful it would be to hear the whole room singing it. We've found that with him is plentiful redemption. How beautiful it would be to hear the congregation sing it. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Now this is fascinating. The passage begins in the singular, right? Oh, out of the depths. I cry to you. It could have said, out of the depths, we cry to you. Let all of Israel sing. Out of the depths, we cry to you. It doesn't. It begins in the singular. It's me in the bottom of the pit that I dug because my sin has separated me from the holy God. But you know what's beautiful? It ends in the singular too, but in a different way. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You know what God has done? He's redeemed all of these people from all of these pits and brought them up to His heavenly kingdom. And in doing so, we are not just reconciled to our God, but we get to be reconciled with one another. He's made a people. He's made a church. He's made a body. He's made a fellowship. God has fashioned a redeemed people. See the order of the psalm. The psalmist cries out, The Lord forgives, and the psalmist waits and hopes. This is the order of salvation. This is the bad news, and this is the good news, and this is a people rejoicing. Surely forgiveness changes everything. It's the hinge for salvation. Surely the one who fears the Lord does not live like the one who is still hiding in their sin. But the business, the focus, the activity, the responsibility of the redeemed is to wait. What's the application point for this morning? If you're still in the pit trying to fix yourself, stop it. Cry out. If you're still hiding in the bushes with fig leaves thinking you're covering yourselves and thinking that you know who God is, stop it. Cry out for mercy. But if that's you, If that's you, you have cried out for mercy. The Lord has been attentive. Wait upon Him. We don't get up and say, whew, that was a close one, and get on with our day. The business of the church is the business, the activity, the labor of waiting. It's the labor of faith. Once forgiven, don't, friends, don't try to show the Lord what a good decision he made in saving you. Nailed it, God. picked the right pit. And we can pretend like we haven't done that. That's not the business. The business is wait. The business is hope. Is not grace and mercy the greatest and most compelling reason for us to go and say, hey, He's redeemed. Hey, Israel, cry out. He's redeemed. Hey, you in the pit, cry out. He was attentive to my cry. He'll be attentive to you. I was just like you in the bottom of my pit. and Were it not for Him, I still would be. This psalm is also a compulsion for mission. The believer cries out to the lost and cries out to the redeemed. Let's hope in the Lord together. Let's wait for Him. I want to summarize this psalm very quickly as we close. Uh, A a number of of weeks ago, my father passed away after a a battle with uh, heart disease, and in the uh, last months of his uh, time, he he really was struggling with dementia. When I met with him over last summer, he didn't recognize me and and, and my family, And, and it was a very difficult season, and in those last Days in those last hours, a pastor came into his room just before he passed away. And my, the pastor asked my dad, what would you like me to read? And my dad said, the woman in the well. And um, if you know the stories of the scriptures, you'll know there is no woman in the well. All right? My dad was referring to the woman at the well. All right, maybe he could have been referring to Psalm 130, the woman in the well and the depravity and lostness of the depths of her sin. He just got that a little wrong at the end there. He'd forgotten so much at that point in his life, and he was struggling to remember the name of of my brother and and, and my dad's wife who was in the room at the time. But as the man began to read John chapter 4, the most basic hope. The most basic waiting remains for the believer. And in that moment, as as the pastor read about the woman in the depth of her sin, and Jesus was not afraid to tell her about it. He didn't sugarcoat the reality that the woman at the well was a sinner. In the depth of her sin, she was lost. And my dad cried out from his bed, knowing so very little he knew this. He cried out, I am that woman. Friends, that's Psalm 130, verses 1 and 2. That's me. Let Israel say. And then the pastor continued, and Jesus, and, and, and Jesus begins to tell the woman about living water, and how he is the well of living water, by which she might be cleansed, refreshed, and redeemed to the worship of Right worship of her God. And my dad cried out the second thing that he knew. He didn't know anybody's name, but he knew this I need that. Friends, that's Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. Let Israel say, I'm that woman. I need that. And we don't have anything else to say. And I'm going to get it right this time. No! I'm going to nail it for the rest of the time. No! I'm going to prove to you that I'm a worthy servant. No! I'm going to wait. Those are the two things I got. I'm going to die with those two words on my lips. I am that woman. I need Jesus. Brothers and sisters, some of you have not cried that. Those are not your words. That is not your waiting. And it is not your Hope. But I can tell you right now, if that is you, you are in the depths of your sin whether you know it or not. And today is the day to cry out from that place. Here I am, Jesus, naked and apart from your mercy ashamed. And then He comes with mercy and He lifts us out of the pit. And we say, I need that. And it never ends. I would call upon you. Make that your cry today. And if you you're like, yeah, I, I know that. That that's my cry. My cry is faith. Never stop. Remain. Wait in that redeemed place, because we never stop needing mercy. That's why He lavishes on it forever. That's why He's rich forever in mercy toward His people. Heavenly Father. We are a people of need, and it never stops. We need your righteousness. We need your forgiveness. We need your word. We need reminder. We are wayward, and we need to be called back to begin to wait on you again. We need your mercy today. And we never don't, even as you are working righteousness in us, even as we, we turn aside from lusts of sin, and, and you do the work of Sanctification in us. We need mercy. We need to see You. We need to be, to be loved by Your steadfast love. Love Your people this morning. and Redeem the lost. And may we go with a word as we leave here with eyes to see those who are still in the pit that we were in so recently. And go with words of good news. Thank You, Lord increase our praise, fill up our Advent songs, fill up our worship this morning with news of your mercy and grace. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.